0: In today's episode, Girls on Film co founder Heather Lorney Archbold talks to Ito O'Brien about intimacy on set. Stay tuned to find out more in today's
1: Girls on Film. Everybody can both feel listened to, heard, created in a better way, and then ultimately allows everybody to be freer and more exciting and more incredible in the performance.
0: Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hand with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate
2: that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a
0: man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone wanna just tell me to my face you're never gonna give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith and on Tuesday the 20th of February 2024 we hold the third annual Girls on Film Awards at Regent Street Cinema in London. We will celebrate the brilliant work made by women in film and will be joined by nominees, industry supporters and listeners so it's a great place to network as well as celebrate women and diversity in film. If you fancy bagging a ticket we'll put details in the show notes. We give awards in 12 categories, including Female Friendship on Screen, the Fiction Feature Award, sponsored by Eon Productions, the Girls on Film Award for Male Ally, sponsored by IMDb. There's a new award for Costume Design, alongside Cinematography and Production Design. But the undisputed climax of the night will be the award for Female Orgasm on Screen, sponsored for the second year running by Intimacy on Set. Girls on Film co-founder and exec producer Hedda Lorney archbold talked to Intimacy On Set founder Ita O'Brien about the four nominees in this year's award. Fair Play, Joyride,
1: Paul Things and Saltburn.
2: Welcome, Ita. How lovely to see you here. And uh, thank you for coming on the Girls on Film podcast.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Hedda. I feel what you are doing with Girls on Film is so positive in the industry. It's so exciting and it's an absolute privilege and honour to... Be supporting and sponsoring the Girls on Film Awards.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Now, the last time that you were on the Girls on Film podcast was in episode 138, in which you talked about your work as an intimacy coordinator and about your company, Intimacy On Set. And it would be great to hear an update from you on how things have changed in the industry since then and what the changes are specifically around the way that intimacy is managed throughout the production process.
1: It's been so positive that there has been so many more intimacy practitioners in the industry, many of whom are fully trained. The caveat is there's just a bit of concern that people are stepping in who have no training. But the upside is that, first of all, SAG-AFTRA, as a result of the strikes and the new contracts that have been negotiated, have included a paragraph that says that producers must make their best efforts to employ an intimacy coordinator for intimate content on all productions which is turning on its head. So instead of the onus being on the actor to ask for somebody, the onus is now on the producer to provide somebody, and that is absolutely fabulous. The Interbusy Coordinator branch of Becto is also doing fabulous work in establishing a list of um, practitioners who have gone through stringent criteria to make sure that they are either under mentorship, having had a really robust training all be fully accredited, which is really, really important. And likewise, SAG AFTRA have their list of, of really accredited intimacy practitioners. So that shift is really amazing. And then equally, I was just looking at an article today um, about the amount of positive conversations there are about actors and producers who have worked with intimacy coordinators and are now really feeling the benefit and understanding, not just about safety. And that's always a big thing for me. It's actually about it creates a better creative arc. And allows everybody to bring the best of their creativity to the intimate content, telling the best intimate stories, elevating the scenes. For a producer with their producer's hat on, creating a better product so that our intimacy actually can be, you know, really enhancing the story but told in a better way, reflecting back to an audience, a more realistic, you know, anatomy of our of our intimacy so that we can lift the lid of, you know, people feeling that perhaps in their personal lives, that they're doing wrong or they're not being good enough. Um, and that forms a really positive service. And all of that is is going to make the writing and the role of an intimate scene in a film or TV um, and then the portrayal of it elevating, you know, the quality of how we're working. And, and that is just really positive in the industry.
2: Well, I think it's an incredible result because what you've created is a a whole shift in the culture where at every level there is now a change in the way that people work and the way that people think about these kinds of scenes and what you can express with them can you talk to me a little bit about one of the pieces of work that you've done recently that you're the most proud of in the past year
1: there's a few that i'm really proud of some are out and some aren't quite out yet one of them that i was really beautiful um where intimacy was at the core of it is Men Up. But of course, it is about the development of Viagra, the early stages of the development of Viagra by a doctor in Swansea who had diabetes patients and discovering that actually the diabetes drug was making his patients impotent. But of course, people didn't speak about it and gradually realizing that. So a lot of the a lot of the beauty of the film, it's, it's actually produced by Russell T. Davis, is and in the writing is just the shame that goes with lack of libido that or the, the lack of um, you know, being able to get an erection and what that means for someone, how they feel about themselves. And then, of course, you know, with that shame comes secrecy and silence, and then isolation and how damaging that can be both in someone's own life and then into their relationships and really inviting, you know, to lift the lid, to bring those secrets out, to share, to have those conversations and how positive that is. And obviously the fact that it's around impotence is, is the intimacy is at the core of the storytelling. And I'm always looking out for productions where that intimate content is absolutely at the core of it. The writing was absolutely beautiful and um, I'm really proud to have supported it.
2: And it's a pill. A single pill. It's a pill. A pill.
1: What's this? you've fallen out of love with me
0: no where do i sign how have you kept all this from me
2: (laughs) i can't
1: believe we're talking about all this hallelujah
2: so it sounds like it's a film about male vulnerability or is it also about
1: female sexuality yes it's it's beautiful about male vulnerability and and then also it's sort of a bromance as well you know because then the, the men finding joy and camaraderie in in the the fellow men who are going through the same experience of them. But obviously, so there's one queer character. Because so again, that's very important. Um at this this time when the drug was being trialed, it was only for heterosexual people. And of course, as we look at it with our hat on off today, we see how mad that is. Um, and so how that person is marginalized and when the truth comes out, there's the most incredible speech made by the incredible Paul Rees about you know, honouring um, the fact that, yes, he says, I am a liar. I have lied all my life. And it is just stunning, the dignity and the honesty and the sadness of people from the 1980s who had to live under that cloud and how beautiful it is looking from, you know, our standpoint today in 2020s that, that that is no longer the case. But also, in particular, I'm really, really proud of the main characters, Fionn and Mureg. character Fionn has had a double mastectomy that was so beautifully told, and I'm so proud of that, you know. And in their couple's storytelling, she obviously feels that the lack of intimacy with her husband was because of her and because of the what she deems or concerned about the ugliness of her body. And that can she still be beautiful? Can she still be seen to be beautiful? Because of her mastectomy scars and and lack of you know the feminine breast, and that is one of the most joyous um, parts of the story arc is um how these two, you know, Murug and Fearon, open out with to speaking with each other, telling the truth, and then coming back to a place of just utterly beautiful connection, and then. Helping, you know, sort of um, particularly Fion to feel beautiful and to be, you know, her husband honouring her as a, such a beautiful person. Myself and Alex Roach were were really keen on making sure that the detail of the physicality served so many women out there who have experienced that. I find it really interesting. It hasn't been picked up really in the media, which I find fascinating, but it's glorious to have the opportunity to talk about it here because it's an aspect that I'm was really important in the storytelling and I'm really proud to have helped portray.
2: It sounds very moving. Now, the past year has actually been very difficult for the industry because not many films have been made uh, due to the strikes. Thankfully, they're, they're now over, but there has been very little production. So how have you filled your time over the past year?
1: Again, I feel really fortunate. I was actually gainfully employed in TV and film right the way through till September. As things gradually started to to go quiet, then I had the joy of actually stepping into working on more theatre and live performance and opera in particular, having the opportunity to really support groundbreaking content in an area that that it hasn't perhaps been understood or known before. So I was working with the amazing Elkana Pulitzer as director on the fantastic composer John Adams' new um, writing of Antony and Cleopatra. Performed by the absolutely stunning Julia Bullock and Jared Finlay. and of course as characters of Antony and Cleopatra, the lusciousness of these megaliths in in history and mature adult love and passionate juicy juicy love, and then of course how it um how they feel betrayed and and how obviously it leads leads to their final tragic demise so it was really important to me that that we really helped us portray these two amazing characters you know incredible passion love and sensuality for each other so that you really invested in them and so hopefully then the audience then could really keenly feel the sadness as these two people put t- tore each other apart and then also going on from that in at the royal opera house and and that's been absolutely fantastic, helping to support a really seismic and fundamental change in the mindset around how all of those operas are um, rehearsed. And and of course, as I was sharing with them, it doesn't necessarily have to do with money, but it has to do with all the intimacy guidelines as we've gradually put them in place. It's actually about forethought. And it's about thinking about it right from the get-go and then about looking at the arc of... of um, the rehearsal process and when you need to have the conversations and when you need to have the rehearsals so that we can support the producers to be cost-effective, to be time-effective, you know, to have all those conversations so that everything is known, so that by the time even you get into rehearsals, so much of that work is done and you can hit the ground running and be efficient and quick and make really good, intimate work through the guidelines, not just saying just go for it, but through clear choreography so that, again, everybody can actually... Reconsider these moments of historic operas, where it's you know that the shape of it has has been conceived from decades ago, and just relook at how we can rehearse it so everybody can both feel listened to, heard, created in a better way, and then ultimately allows everybody to be freer and more exciting and more incredible in the performance.
2: amazing. Well, that sounds fantastic. So let's turn to the nominees for the girls on Film Awards for this year. So in the category for a uh, female, Orgasm on screen supported by Intimacy on Set. We've got not three nominations but four. Uh, very different films, and it would be lovely to hear your thoughts just briefly on all of the nominations. Let's start with Fair Play, which was uh, written and directed by Chloe Domont and stars Phoebe Dinover. And her nomination is for a scene with her co-star Alden Ehrenreich, which happens right at the beginning of the film. <laughs>
0: How did I get so
2: lucky?
1: Are you talking about me or your job? Okay!
2: Sorry! We're getting
0: married.
2: We're getting married. I wish we could tell the whole world.
1: We're gonna have to tell them sooner than later. Morning. Morning.
2: I think it's the right time to admit we're breaking policy.
1: I thought this was a fantastic opening scene. We'd worked with um extensively with Alden on Brave New World. So he had a really good grounding in um in the intimacy guidelines right back from 2019. And obviously Phoebe had worked very closely with Lizzie Talbot on Bridgerton. So what was lovely was that these two practitioners um, really had a good understanding of the intimate content and they had, and you can see in the sculpting of these scenes, both in this scenes and the subsequent ones, that there's really beautiful power play, really beautiful beats, really clearly served. And what I love about this one is, oh, and again, the intimate scenes isn't just the sex, you know so from when they come in you know his comments about her being the most beautiful person in the room and then they come sort of behind a trellis and they just stand and he says i'm just looking and again actually those moments to me are sort of almost allowing that space and allowing the time and the breath for those moments to establish who they are and while past lives isn't part of the nominations that's equally what's so absolutely amazing in past lives it allows that space between the je, the electricity to happen just in the gaze. So it allows us as an audience to feel the zing of the intimacy before it goes into anything physical. Um, so, so they had that there. And then as they go into the intimate scenes in the in the bathroom, the joy, the joy of connection, joy of relishing each other. And, oh, one of the best portrayals of discovering someone's, you know, started menstruating and what that means. What's also glorious about it is that it's not vilified. It's not, uh, disgusting. It's laughed about. It's joyous. You know, there's blood up her dress. There's blood on his face and on his shirt. So, so positive, uh, you know, and it's red blood. Of course it's red blood. But why I say it's red blood? Because, you know, so long of, you know, period adverts have got blue liquid and stuff. So for a long time after the period sex scene in I May Destroy You, there hadn't been many, you know, saying that there's, I still haven't seen many period sex scenes. And suddenly here, two of our scenes as this nomination are, are intimate scenes, one menstruating. So that's up, utterly glorious and caring. And it's it's just really establishes who they are. And of course, at the end of it, then she goes, what's this? So it culminates in, in a proposal.
2: Shall we go straight to the other scene that has menstrual sex yeah. in it, which is uh, the scene in Saltburn, which is uh, also written and directed by a woman, Emerald Fennell. And uh, this is a scene between Alice and Oliver and Barry Keegan.
1: I think I like you even more than last year's one.
0: You're so... Um,
2: so what? Real. Can't have been easy for Venetia, with you being a mother. Why? Now it's time to take things up a notch. I sure have them apple-bottom
1: jeans,
2: boots with the fur.
1: So this is the opposite, in a way, of joyous, loving coming together. This is absolutely a very uncomfortable scene of coercion. Could one say even assault? I don't know. It's on the edge. But as far as a scene that pushes the storytelling forward, it tells us something really vital and new about each character and each character in relationship. It's very shocking because it really opens up and lets us know really where Barry Keoghan's character, Oliver, is coming from and, in a way, who he really is. So as the intimate scene is and his coercion and his his power play, it's an absolutely stunning revealing of who he is and then... The amazing Alison Oliver, and I have to say, as I was watching this film, obviously I've worked so closely with Alison Oliver. She is utterly incredible. And I kept on going, oh, that's Alison? That is Alison? Because her portrayal of the character is just so out there and so completely different from who I know her to be And then her trail of this character just wanting this affection in whatever terms it's offered to her, going with, oh. And almost the most disturbing moment is when a bloody finger then is going into the mouth, just ramps up, you know, one bit of uncomfortableness after another. But again, intimacy coordinated by the incredible Miriam Lucia, who obviously trained with me through to accreditation, done the most fabulous job. And again, we get that, don't we, as an audience, really clear choreography really beautiful beats of the scene in all of that character uncomfortableness, but we can stay enjoying exactly what that scene does for us in the storytelling. So good job done.
2: Yeah. As you say, what's incredible about that scene is that you realise how unbelievably manipulative he is, but she doesn't realise that. And she believes she is having the most unbelievable experience because I read somewhere that Emerald Fennell said about that scene that He worships her body and everything that it produces and she's never had an experience like that. And so that makes her feel so whole and so seen and loved. It makes it so painful that we know that that's not the case. So it's it's a very layered scene and beautifully played.
1: Just to say then, obviously, because the culmination or or the, the next stage is that incredible bath scene. So again, you know, her vulnerability of being in the bath and him you know, kneeling on the edge and what she reveals during that monologue. And then again, through to this power play that again makes it a stomach squirm of the kiss that comes out of that. And, you, and seemingly from nowhere, again, just incredible writing, incredible portrayal, incredible intimacy, coordination to to really unearth right the way through the beats of this beautiful twisted power play. So now on to
2: something completely different, which is Joyride. Oh, hi. So
0: nice to see an American. What do you do for work? Hmm?
1: It's the cops are doing a back check. Oh, fuck.
0: oh my God, you're a drug dealer? <laughs> you're drug dealers now, bitches! What the fuck? Is it a condom? We can't get caught with drugs in China, we'll get jailed for life! Crazy, you gotta go crazy! never come to China. People are always thinking that I have this perfect life. I don't belong anywhere.
1: If you do not know where you come from, how do you know who you are? So this was a film that was both joyous and anarchic, you know, a bit off kilter and a bit mad, I felt as a whole, while also having the most incredible heart at its core And the fundamental story of these four women on a quest to find the main character's mother, but to find themselves and that female empowerment through that journey was was joyous and amazing. I always say that there's two sides to this industry. There's absolutely and rightfully a place for pure entertainment, escapism, joy, allowing an audience to sit back and just let it wash over you. And, And I feel this falls into that category. And there's also the place of storytelling that's about really reflecting humanity back on themselves and about healing and you know engaging with wounding and and going to that place but this is the former And it really does it so beautifully. There's a real sense of abandon and joy. You know, these women in each of them as they explore, you know, their sexuality in whichever way is right for each of the characters. There's a sense of, you know, just relishing life, you know, sucking the marrow out of life and just going for it in that moment. And that's what's joyous about this scene.
2: Great. Well, in that case, on to the fourth nominee, which is Poor Things, uh, written by Tony McNamara, based on the novel by Alistair Gray and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos starring Emma Stone. And she has quite a lot of very intimate scenes with different people, but the nomination is for her uh, scene with herself. And the intimacy coordinator on this was Elle McAlpine.
0: Tell me, where did she come from?
2: I shall, for it is a happy tale.
1: I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy circumnavigate it is the goal of all to progress grow
2: a woman plotting her course to freedom
1: and oh. so this was the most amazing just a, a woman exploring themselves and experiencing the world for me there was that slight uncomfortableness of this dichotomy of a woman's anatomy and a woman's age of life but with a a child in a baby's brain and the mismatch of that. So that was that I found interesting. But what was fundamentally glorious about it was, you know, and as Emma Stone has said herself in several interviews, that lifting the lid because of the way now weird mismatch of a baby's brain and a woman's body um, is experiencing the world. And, you know, and her creators also allow that unfettered, that they're not living within the social norms. And so, as as her character grows up, she's also got that freedom of not, con- you know, having the conventions of schooling and society that someone might normally be brought up in. And so, in that place, as so she starts to discover her own self pleasure, first of all, again, it um allows the character to have that freedom that you know that you know sense of outside of social norms. You know, like at the at the dinner table, sort of taking the apple and just being curious. And just, you know, taking that down there and just seeing what it does and discovery without understanding or knowing that actually that might not be socially acceptable. So that is a, a really exciting journey that she goes on. And again, you know, it's been absolutely joyous. And even just, you know, a couple of days ago, Emma Stone had spoken even further about not just the the care, d- discussing the scenes, choreographing the scenes, but also the aftercare. And of course, that's, you know, we talk about bookending, you know, as an artist, that journey into Creating intimate scenes, you know, again, what we're able to bring to the industry is the understand that this is a body dance. This is a physical um, expression. You know, a character will have dialogue, but then all this intimate content is then told through the body. And in order to do that, then you have to drop into the body, you have to awaken the body. So, you know, as we're supporting a, an actor to really do a good warm up and wake up the different energy centers that the scenes are about, so that you can be really telling that physical storytelling through the body, and also in the aspect of you know where's in your agreement and consent you know as again that's that's a shift in the industry as if someone's going to be asked where's okay for you you actually have to not override your body that that has been as it was in the industry when there was no opportunity to really have your boundaries honored and invited so actors would just override and just get on with it and only afterwards perhaps feel the uncomfortableness of perhaps overstepping their own boundaries or to feeling downright harassed, to feeling absolutely abused, and it really breaking their artistry and and meaning they step away from the industry that I, I have known on several occasions. So there's that journey in, but then also really importantly that you bookend, you understand that sort of you've given of your sensuality, your sexuality, nudity if it's required in the honouring of the storytelling for a production but making sure that you professionally then let that go. there be a high five, a hug, you know, stepping back away from the character, stepping back away from the emotional and psychological um, storytelling and coming back to yourself each and every day. So that, you know, particularly when you're in a really intensive filming um, schedule, that that best practice each and every day actually allows you, the better you step away and come back to self and allow that residue of where you've gone to physically, emotionally, psychologically, so that you can then really pick it back up fully the next day is such an important part of what we understand now is really good practice that allows you as a performer to really keep showing up and really keep delivering what's required, you know, the next day on the set and the next day. And Emma Stone really charted so beautifully how Ella put that in place, really supported Emma, which is just joyous to to hear of um, you know, of Emma speaking so so highly of, of Elle's practice.
2: No, I think that's right. What's such an extraordinary feat about this film is that certainly the beginning half, the first half of the film, Emma Stone is discovering sexuality with absolutely no sense of shame that there is such a thing as shame. And that uh, that's so surprising and so wonderful to watch. And um, I think it's really interesting to hear people's responses because people loved to see it but there's also been quite a lot of discussion about whether in the later scenes in the um, brothel whether there's some exploitation going on or issues around consent and did you have
1: some thoughts on that. I actually thought the those issues or those those questions were broached that Emma Stone's character, you know, when she's presented with an old man that she doesn't want to have sex, which is, like, do I do I have to do this? You know, so it's confronted and discussed, and also that is the parameters of that profession is sometimes you know that that's part of the job. But it is is considered and it is questioned and that's what's important. I also thought the progression of um, the different encounters were beautifully choreographed. I could see the well thought through staging of, you know, the the men who are part of the customers you know sort of the the natural nakedness and, and that play while they were separate and then when it came to the intercourse it was again very cleverly and beautifully shot so that you saw the rhythm and the quality of it while actually being fundamentally they were like from the from the upper body so you didn't see artistry wise it told a really perfect storytelling while I can see allowing really good techniques to be put in place again really good job done with the choreography of the scenes. And and I know, again, that Elle, you know, was one of the main practitioners on set on It's a Sin. That aspect was something that we really, sort of as the lead intimacy coordinator, being aware of you've got a lead character who's engaging in all the intimate content and then having, you know, smaller characters engaging with one of those scenes, just that different journey and how you take care of that day player, as it were, in one way, making them feel listened to, heard, really rehearsed well so they're comfortable with what they're portraying, but also taking care of the main cast and being aware that of um, stepping into a into a scene, performing it really well, but then needing that break to step away from it. I, I'm sure that's what Elle put in place there. Another aspect that I absolutely loved of the female empowerment, which and it was it was something that I personally is something that I would always want, but very rarely you see it. Does what I loved was um, well, first of all, the honesty when she comes back to the character who who becomes a husband you know, and proposes to her. But then when her, the husband from the, her character before she died turns up and you know, of course they say, no, of course she's not going to go with you. But she's going, no, actually, I'm curious. And like, like for me, that's like, oh, yes, because I would be too. And it's like, yes, I would want to leave no stone unturned. Yes, I'd want to know, where did I come from? Who was I beforehand? And that bit for me as well, as far as just that refreshingness of the the liberation of going, no, I want to know. And, And then her discovery. And then again, she doesn't then get stuck and take it lying down. Then she again, through, yes, what you might call masculine violence, gets herself out of there, following that rabbit hole of curiosity, understanding what the dynamic was. And then in a way, there's a real coming to, rest and peace with what um that character's past has been and that she now is in a really good place.
2: Wonderful. Oh I'm so pleased you enjoy that film too. <laughs> Those are the four nominees and uh, the winners will be announced at the Girls on Film Awards on the 20th of February. There have been quite a lot of other films in the past year that have had intimate scenes or that have been about intimacy but that haven't had scenes on screen. So I wondered if you had any general thoughts about the films of the last year that showed female pleasure or, or in fact, female unpleasure or ambivalence on screen that, that are not in this nomination, but that are noteworthy.
1: Well, one of the films that's absolutely groundbreaking and a really important film and storytelling to be out there is How to Have Sex, utterly brilliant how it's told, the cinematography, the quality of like being inside their world and the writing by Molly Manning Walker is utterly fabulous. I had the joy of quite a few years ago, back in 2019, supporting her preparation for her short film, Good Thanks, You. And again, that was about, you know, part of her own storytelling. And my lovely intimacy practitioner, Kat Hardman, was the practitioner on set with Molly on that short film film. That sort of was a precursor to this, and it's utterly joyous to see when Molly Manning has taken the seeds of that story into this film. What's your name? Tara.
2: I've not noticed it before, but you're proper beautiful. <laughs> you two are a team of best mates. Gang, gang, gang. No one cares if you're a virgin, it's very chill. So why are you bringing it up then? Hi, we're going to play a game.
1: I feel the portrayal of what young people's expectations are, the pressures that they put on themselves, and also, sadly, Our complete lack in our society and in our schooling of helping young people to have the equipment to listen to themselves and to be able to call their boundaries in a way that allows them to stay feeling empowered and autonomous, to not feel like they're approved, but absolutely to be able to call out when somebody is being... Coercive, manipulating and abusive It's so hard to watch But it's so utterly brilliant And again I I met with Molly in December And we had a conversation about it And she's already teamed up with a fantastic company That go into secondary schools And she had a day when they showed the film in the morning With sixth formers And then had a discussion in the afternoon Being able to pick out some of those scenes And Molly was saying the horror That one of the young boys was saying That's fine, what's wrong with that? And you just go, oh, my God. But then thankfully, some of the other boys were equally going, oh, my God, don't you see how that's wrong? So the whole arc of how we need to help empower our young people right from infant school to listen to themselves, to have the language right the way through into the secondary schools. So by the time a, a young person gets to 16 and very often after GCSEs, that rite of passage, certainly for my kids, it was Going to Reading Festival or to Latitude Festival, you know they're experiencing drugs. They're you know the alcohol is part of, of what's part of their play and their partying. Um, how do we help them to navigate that while also, by the time they get to there, having a language, understanding how to listen to themselves, understanding how to call their boundaries in a healthy way, understanding you know for our young boys it's okay not to know, for everybody to respect it themselves and then bring that respect into how they are with their friends and their peers. We've got such a long way to go. The amazing film is a really fantastic jumping-off point to, to really open out that conversation.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, then finally, really, there's um, one other film that I wanted to talk about, which is the biggest grossing film of the whole of this last year. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, of course, about Barbie. What are your thoughts on Barbie. <laughs> To do. You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours.
0: The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know. Okay? Do it again.
2: Closer I am fine. Closer I am
1: fine. I'm coming with you. Okay. I had the joy of seeing it. It's an open air cinema showing in. Athens I thought the inversion of you know sort of a woman's world Barbie's world and then going out into this world where the world's turned on its head and the misogyny rules and the realization of that and the impact of that for Ken it was so incredibly and intelligently and beautifully realized the tongue-in-cheek humor of it was just incredible And it just smacks you in the face of going, oh, my goodness, that is the world in which we live and how beautifully it was portrayed. What I find unbelievable is that, you know, at that point, Barbie, Barbara, Barbie Heimer, wasn't it? You know, Oppenheimer and Barbie were up there together, joyously together, joyously celebrated together. But which was the highest grossing? Barbie. Yes. And what I'm finding utterly heartbreaking is that now as we come to the awards season, Oppenheimer, a man's story, directed by a man. You know, I love Keelan Murphy. I just think, you know, all of those performances absolutely deserve the nominations and the awards that they're getting. So it doesn't take away from them. But so does Greta Gerwig. So does Margot Robbie. They absolutely deserve all the plaudits for the incredible, you know, a piece of art that they have put out there, the incredible thought-provoking content that they've offered out. And it's like the irony that... The misogyny that's held a light up to in that film is actually playing out in our industry still, unashamedly. And I find that utterly, utterly baffling and heartbreaking. And I here want to give a huge Best Director Award to Greta Gerwig, Best um, Actress Award to Margot Robbie. Not that what I say matters at all, but um, I just hope that the industry wakes up to itself and and when this award season is finally over and you look at what the impact of the films of this past year have been and then how they were reflected in the beauty and the artistry and the creativity and the bravery that those different artists portrayed through those films and which ones were awarded and which ones went by the wayside. I hope it's a bit of a reckoning and people sit down and perhaps, you know, have a think about really, really, is that still where we're at in this industry? The mismatch of what should be honoured and how we look at how we honour our women and how we honour our men. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank
2: you, Ita, for making the film industry a safer and a happier place for everybody that works in films that do have intimate scenes in them. Thank you for that. And thank you for supporting the awards. And thank you for being on the podcast.
0: You're listening to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith, and that was Hedda Lornie Archbold, Girls on Film's co-founder and exec producer, talking to Ita O'Brien of Intimacy On Set. Before I go, there's a few great female-focused films I'd love to recommend in the run-up to International Women's Day 2024. The first is Memory, starring Jessica Chastain, which is in UK cinemas from February the 23rd. This is a really powerful film about two people making an unlikely connection. It looks at trauma and memory in a sensitive and delicate way. And it features incredible performances from Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. Oscar-nominated for Best Documentary Feature Film is the film Four Daughters from Tunisian director Kauter Ben Benhania, who is the first Arab woman to secure two Oscar nominations. It tells a true story of a woman whose two eldest daughters ran off to become fighters for Islamic State. Actors join her remaining two daughters to reenact their story. It will be released in the UK and Irish cinemas by Modern Films on the 1st of March, 2024. And now to COPPA 71. This is the extraordinary true story of the 1971 Women's Football World Cup that was written out of sporting history until now. It's told by the amazing, groundbreaking women who took part and features jaw-dropping archive footage. It's directed by Rachel Ramsey and James Erskine and it's in UK cinemas from March the 8th. Origin is also in UK cinemas from March the 8th. This is Ava DuVernay's thought provoking drama based on the true story of author Isabel Wilkerson and her research into the caste system. It's an intimate, personal way of exploring very important themes with a warm-hearted, central performance from Ingenue Ellis Taylor. The film Men Up that Ita O'Brien was talking about earlier is on BBC iPlayer to watch now. And if you want to know where to see the rest of the films we talked about today, just check the show notes. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Lorne-Archbold, who also produces this episode, and audio editor Emma Butt. Thanks to our partners for this episode, Intimacy On Set. I'm Anna Smith. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.
1: Oh that's just giving me goosebumps.